0: Hello, everybody. How's it going? Ben Gothard here with another Project Egg interview. And today we're talking to Rob Dial from Florida. How are you doing today, Rob?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Good. Good. Fantastic. Thanks for asking. I appreciate your time. So let's jump right into the interview. My first question for you is, what is your story?
1: Oh, man. Well, it depends on how deep you want to go. <clears throat> so a uh, quick, quick idea of me and my story. Um, I grew up, um, I live in Austin, Texas now, but I grew up in Florida uh, a little place called Anna Maria Island, um, and also in Sarasota, which is what most people have heard of before. Um, so my story was, uh, you know, I grew up in a different way than most people. I think my uh, my parents got divorced when I was nine because my father was an alcoholic. Um, when I was 15 years old, my father passed away from being an alcoholic, um, and so that left a lot of questions and a lot of, uh, you know, I think childhood trauma that I had to try to overcome on my own. Um, we were pretty poor um, and had to had to figure out stuff on my own. So I didn't really uh, go to any therapists or anything. When I was 19, I started with a company called Cutco. I sold knives in people's houses and they really pushed personal development and trying to become the best you can. And that was the first time that I ever learned that, holy crap, like the way things are, the way I am right now, I don't have to be this way forever. And uh, I became obsessed with personal growth. I became obsessed with making myself better, with trying to figure out what was going on in my head, if I had any things that I needed to overcome from you know, my father, any of those things. And so I became pretty obsessed with all of that. And uh, within a year, I was promoted to a manager with the company. And within four years, um, by the age of 24, I had trained over uh, 2000 sales reps and uh, had coached a lot of people and um, ran my own office. It was the number one office in the history of the the region I was in in 65 years or something like that. So um, I believe that record still stands about eight years later, which is cool. After that, I left and went to the corporate world, did sales, did sales training, um, and hated working for somebody else. I hated the corporate world because I was so used to everyone trying to get better and improve. And it was like going to conferences and doing coaching and, you know, reading books when I was in Cutco and then I left and I went to the corporate world. It was just like, people just went there, they went home and then they just, you know, Ate a hot pocket, watched Netflix. They woke up and did the same thing. It just felt like nobody was trying to grow nobody's trying to get better. Um, so I ended up starting my own, um, e-commerce business and, uh, I did that. And then also before that I started the podcast, which is MWF motivation. And I was just like, I know a lot of stuff that really helped me become better and become successful and, you know, take me from where I was, which I think was could have been a, a very troubled situation. Um, to where I am now, and I want to teach it to other people, and so I started the podcast. Um, you know, it, it it grew very quickly and uh, did over a million downloads in its first year, and it continues to grow, and it's uh, it's been amazing. So, um, so that's kind of my my short story, and uh, and so now I have my you know my my online business, and then I also have everything that I do from one on one coaching to group coaching through the the podcast.
0: Fantastic, and and you know I appreciate your transparency. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the amount that you were willing to share, uh, I think it, it's very powerful when you, when you open up like that. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, yeah. and, and, if, if we may, uh, just dive a little bit back, uh, into your history, I uh, kind of sure. want to, kind of want to talk through some of those things. So, you know, you mentioned that, your, uh, your, your parents were divorced at nine and, mm-hmm. um, and, and your father passed at 15. Can
1: mm-hmm. you
0: maybe talk about how those things really impacted your life and, and, uh, how they influenced you to become the person that you are today.
1: Yeah. So when I was younger, I was, uh, I was very shy. Um, I was always trying to hide that. I was embarrassed. The fact that my dad was an alcoholic, he would come to my baseball games and basketball games and he would be drunk. And, um, he was never belligerent or, you know, he never like hit us or anything like that. But, um, it was just very clear that he was, he was drunk and, you know, he went into jail a couple times because of the fact that, you know, he, got DUIs and then got too many of them and and all of those things. So um, it was very confusing for me. And so when he passed away at 15, I always tell people the worst day of my life uh, was the day my father passed away. But the best day of my life was also the day my father passed away. And it's not because he was then out of my life. It was because of the fact that uh, it was the first time I ever experienced somebody passing away. And, uh, and I realized, holy crap, we only really get one life. And it wasn't like, you know, my grandmother passed away when I was eight years old and I went to her funeral. My father was the very first person I ever knew that passed away when I was 15. And, uh, it gave me the realization that I'm going to die and I need to do everything that I can in the time that I'm here. And so, um, a lot of people will talk to me and they're just like, you're so driven, you're so passionate about what what you do. And the reason why is because I am very, everybody knows they're going to die, Right. But they try to push it away. I'm very clear that every single day could be my last. And I'm going to do every possible thing that I can. And I think most people kind of act as if they get a second at bat, as if, you know, oh, maybe this is just a practice round. The best that we know is, this, you know, maybe we do get extra ones. Who knows? We're not smart enough to know that. Uh, But for me, I know that I'm going to do everything that I possibly can. And uh, and my biggest fear is getting to the end of my life and wishing that I would have impacted more lives. And so I wake up every single morning, driven to do as much as I possibly can to impact more people.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So you know, for people who may be a little bit less focused, a little bit less driven, mm-hmm. what advice can you give them to help them realize, hey, d- this is the only life we have. Th- mm-hmm. This is this is this is our one shot. Like you said, we don't get a second up to. Or we might get a second up to battle. We don't know. Right. You know what? Right. What advice can you give them to to help them? kind of wake up if if you will.
1: Yeah. So I think that, so here's the thing that, that people realize is I've kind of realized from having the podcast, it's funny because my podcast name is MWF motivation, but I'm starting to hate the word motivation. And the reason why is because people, I get so many emails of people saying, Hey, I wish I had motivation. I'm just not motivated today. What do I do to get motivated? And they act as if like motivation is just some magical thing that if you're lucky, you know, the motivational fairy would have sprinkled the dust on you and you wake up and you're motivated today. And, um, what they're really searching for is drive because I feel like motivation is very, uh, fleeting. You know, sometimes you can feel, you can listen to something and you're like, man, I'm motivated for 30 minutes. And then 30 minutes later, you're exactly the same. Um, what we're searching for is drive. And so whenever somebody tells me what it is that they, you know, are trying to go for, I always have to figure out the why behind what they want to do. So um, if somebody says they want to make $100,000 this year, that might be motivating to you. You might be motivated the entire year for 365 days at just going for money. But if you can find out the reason, the deep emotional attachment to why you're trying to go for what you're going for, um, you can usually be much more motivated. So uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I have a a coach client who wants to make $100,000 this year, and that's good. But there's going to be times when he's going to want to sleep in and $100,000 is going to motivate him. And so what I said is like, what's your biggest fear in the world? He's like, oh, my biggest fear is, you know, this. And it was it was not being a great father. And I was like, all right, let's dive deeper into that. What's your biggest fear and how is making $100,000 this year going to change that fear or make it better for you? And he's like, well, my biggest fear is that, you know, my kids are I'm never going to get custody of my kids. Okay. Tell me more about it. Dive deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And, uh, I don't, you know, for his own personal reasons, I don't want to tell you exactly what we came up to and his why, but it was an extremely deep personal attachment to the fact that he wants to make a hundred thousand dollars because of what it's going to do for his children's life. So he could take custody over them. So he could take them out of a neighborhood that they're in. So he can make sure that they have the great life so he can put them in a different school district so they can get a better education. And so instead of thinking about $100,000, and not being motivated for it. He's thinking about doing everything that he possibly can to get his children in a better situation. That's what's going to wake you up in the morning and become driven. And so if you're looking for drive, don't look towards something towards monetary. But if, if it is, if it is your goal is make a hundred thousand dollars, why, what is that going to do? Is it going to take your kids out of the apartment that you're in going to put them in a better school district, be able to actually have them get a better education to go to college to whatever it is that, that that's behind that. And so, um, Motivation is very fleeting, but I think what everyone's searching for is drive because you could see someone that's driven You can hear it in their voice You could see it in their eyes like nothing's going to stop that person and that's what everybody's searching for and uh, And so I think that's the that's the main key to drive is to figure out exactly what it is that you want and have a strong emotional attachment to that goal that you have
0: absolutely and and that is that is fantastic advice too. to to really look deeper into why we do things you know why Mm -hmm. why do we want the hundred thousand dollars why do Mm -hmm. we want to build this business of our dreams you know is it freedom is it family is it is it just a passion for for something so on that note uh and and you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier but what is what what is your drive what is your why what's your passion
1: So mine has has evolved and it actually, you know, today is the perfect day to talk about it because of the fact of what happened last night. And so, um, so my thing is this, I am, I guess you could say naive enough to think that I can build a big enough brand and a big enough name for myself, not for my own personal gain, but because of the fact that one of the things that really pisses me off and drives me crazy is the fact that grown men and women that run countries and have in invisible borders can't get along. Like I was about to drop the F bomb. I don't know if that's okay. Like they freaking totally adults. Can. You totally. Like can. they can't. They can't act like they're fucking adults. Like like why do why why does this country need to bomb this country? Why do innocent people need to die? And so my thing is like I'm trying to build a brand that's so fucking big that I can have enough clout to get one world leader get in the room with another world leader and act like they're you know 45, 56 year old men instead of 13 year old boys. And so I have the the naivete to think in my head that I can actually get there. And it's a 30 to 40 year goal. It's not going to be something that um, that's going to happen overnight. And the perfect example and the reason why I say it is because of the fact that I, I, I'm not saying whether I agree with it or whether I don't agree with it. Um, but we ended up bombing Syria yesterday, last night in the middle of the night, we dropped fifty nine, um, fifty nine different missiles on one of their air bases. And the reason why was because supposedly there's evidence that, that they killed a thousand of their people through a chemical attack. And so it's like, why does this shit need to happen? Like, I don't understand how people can be so immature that they have to kill other people. And so my thing is like, it, it's, it's easy for me to get out of bed, right? Cause I'm not thinking about myself. It's easy for me to get out of bed. When I think of all of the people who are, you know, people in Somalia who doesn't have, who don't have food and water and there's this huge, crazy problem over there. It's like, you know, why do all of these things need to happen and how can we all come together and actually realize like, it doesn't matter what part of it doesn't matter what language you speak. doesn't matter what country you're in. doesn't matter what invisible borders you were born in and that you happen to live in right now. Um, we can all figure out a way to get along and that's, that's my drive. And so, um, so what gets me up in the morning is knowing that I'm nowhere near where I need to be. And my long-term goal is 30, 40 years from now to be able to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's what, what, what gets me up in the morning. It makes me work harder than I ever have.
0: I love that fire. I love that passion. Uh, and, and, you know, I appreciate you, uh, you know, you know, talking about this and, and, you know, kind of staying away from the, from the politics side of it, you know, that's not the point of of this podcast at all, but, but, uh, you know, it is an important part of, of who you are. So I'm glad you shared Mm -hmm. that. So let's, let's dive a little bit more into your history. So, um, you know, after your your formative uh, teenage years, mm-hmm. um, did you go to college?
1: Yeah. Okay. And I dropped out. Yep.
0: So, so, <laughs> so maybe maybe talk about um, where you went and, and what you studied and and um, the the just maybe give us a little bit of insight on that whole time frame.
1: So, yeah. So I went to uh, I went to USF, which is in Tampa, University of South Florida. And uh, I went for a few years just because of the fact that I thought that's what you were supposed to do. Um, and then what's actually interesting is that when I was 21 and I was working for the company, I went and opened my own office for a summer. You get four months to go call it a branch office. You can open your own branch office for four months. Um, and when I was 21 years old, when all of my friends were partying and they were, you know, I lived in Florida, like that's, that's the best place to live during the summer. I mean, all of all of the, the, the girls come from in from out of town. You can hang out with new ones every single week and you could do all of that. And that's what all of my friends did. But instead of doing that, I went and opened up my own office at 21 years old. And, um, you know, I, I paid for the rent uh, to lease the place. I paid for receptionists to answer the phones. I had assistant managers that worked under me. I had all of these things. So I moved to this office, ran it. My office did about $128,000 in, in knife sales for that summer. And then I came back and I was in the history. I I literally remember the exact second that this happened. I was in the history of the civil war class. That was my class. And I was cheating on an exam because I really didn't care. Right. Like it was like I had to memorize dates of different battles. Like I freaking care about that. And I thought about it. I was like, what does this have to do with my life in 30 years? And I'm and I, I can tell you right now, eight years down the road, I don't remember any of the battles or the dates or any of those things that I that I had to to quote unquote memorize. And so for me, I was sitting in that class and I was like, this isn't for me. No, this isn't it. And I dropped out. That was the last, that was the last day that I attended any more classes. And so I think that, that college is good for some people. I think that it was good for me because I was able to find myself and experience different things. Um, but I do think our education system is, is kind of screwed up in a way and I, it, it, it doesn't serve a lot of people. It serves some people. There's a specific personality type that I think it does serve and it does help them out a lot. But I think that that's, you know, maybe 30% of people. And so if somebody's not going to be a doctor or a lawyer or engineer or something that, that needs a degree, I don't necessarily feel that college is needed for everybody. Um, because of the fact that, you know, I've, I've, I was, I was sitting in that class and I was, I was realizing that I had made the, that, that same year more than I would have if I went and got my college degree. And I was like this, I don't, I don't need this. It doesn't make any sense. And so I went to Cracker Braille with my mom and I was like, I drove an hour down south to go see her and I was like, hey, I'm thinking about dropping out of college. And she's like, well, if if you're making enough money right now, like the only reason to go to college is to get a job, to make money. And you're already making money at the job that you're at. So why don't you just do that? And so I think that for some people, if they were to, instead of investing their money into college, work like sweeping floors at the company that you want to work at and work your way up over the next four years, you're actually going to be paid to do that. And you'll be in a better position in that company by the time you would have gotten out of college.
0: Absolutely. And, and you know, I think and, and I can only speak for myself, but, you know, I don't think either of us are really knocking education. You know, like you mm-hmm. said, it, it is for some people, you know, especially right. if you if you want to go on and get those advanced degrees, you know, if you want to become an attorney or, mm-hmm. or a doctor or, or any of those things. But like you said, it's not for everybody. So, you know, for for people who may be struggling with that right now, Mm -hmm. um, what insight can you give them to make up their mind? Like like how would how would you try to help them make up the decision of, okay, do I want to stay in school or go to school or Mm -hmm. do I want to start building my career?
1: Right. Here's the one thing that I do think. I don't think that somebody should go or stay in college unless they are sure what they want to do. That's the first thing that I think. Here's the great thing about college. You can go to college at any time that you want to, right? I could go back to college at 31 years old right now if I wanted to and get my degree. And so you don't have to go to college right away. So I think that going straight from high school into college, unless you know exactly what you want to do, is not necessarily the best idea for most people. What I would say is is this. I think what would be what have really benefited me the most is if when I was 18 years old, I would have taken a year off the school, I would have worked really freaking hard at some job and saved up as much money as I possibly could, and then travel for three months or six months. And for me, I went in Backpack Europe when I was, well, let's say I was, it was 2012. So I was uh, 26. I went in Backpack for Europe for three months. If I would have done that at 18, it probably would have shifted my entire life. And I think that it would have allowed me to figure out what I was more passionate about. I was would have been able to meet people that were interesting and they could have shifted the direction of my life. Um, that could have made me move to a new place to meet new people and find the job that I wanted. And so realize that if you're in school or if you're about to go to school or you're thinking about going to school, you don't have to go to school right away after high school. You can go out and find yourself and you can go to a company and here's the best part about it. School is well, the worst part about school is it costs a lot of freaking money. The best part about not going to school is you can go, well, You know, maybe I'm thinking about going into marketing, right? Well, why don't you go and be an intern making $7 an hour um, or working for free at a marketing company before you drop $20,000 for your first semester and realize, holy crap, I don't want to do marketing, right? Or maybe you work for that marketing company and you start working your way up and you go, this is what I want to do. All right, I go to school for it. Or you work for that marketing company and you realize this is what I want to do. And then you go up and ask. I literally just saw you asked the, the the CEO, hey, do I need a degree or can I just work my way up here? Can I get four years of experience versus come out of school and have no years of experience but four years of sitting in a classroom? I just saw an article today that says um, uh, Elon Musk in Tesla doesn't care what your degree is, and so that's the perfect example where it's like maybe the CEO doesn't care if you have a piece of paper because at this point in time, you know, it's it seems like most people do. And uh, and what I realized was not having a college education. Didn't hold me back. I actually got every single job that I applied for after I left Cutco, and the reason why was because I had six years of sales experience, which every company wants. Um, if you have a, if you, if you're a salesperson, you always have a job somewhere. And so that was, uh, that was, that was what happened with me. And that's when I realized, you know, that it's it always said four year degree or equivalent in experience. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. So I think that it would be more beneficial and save people a lot of money. They'd also be able to make a lot of money if they work for a company for four years gaining experience, which is actually more applicable than a piece of paper, um, than going to school and learning marketing.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I really like what you said about going to college when you do know what you want to do and and you do know a little bit more about who you are. Because, I mean, I know from personal experience, I I mean, I'm 22 right now and I'm Mm -hmm. a senior at LSU. Mm-hmm. And the first year of my college experience, I was in the wrong major. And, right. and you know, I, I lost a lot of time and, um, you know, and, and maybe if I had done a little bit more introspection, I could have saved that time. But, but you know, I really do think that's good advice of take some time to, to figure, who, figure yourself out, figure mm-hmm. out who you are, right? And, and I know there, there, there may be a stigma about, oh, they didn't go to college and they didn't do this and they didn't do that.
1: Who cares?
0: Mm-hmm. It yep. doesn't matter, right? I mean, yep. statistics are statistics. People's opinions are people's opinions. I think what matters yep. at the end of the day is, is, as the individual, what's best for you. So, so let's sure. let's let's dive into into your history a little bit more. You said <laughs> at nineteen, I believe, you started working mm-hmm. at Cutco.
1: Yeah.
0: So, can you uh, talk about your experiences in that time frame of, of when you were working there? uh, and, and talk about the skills that you developed. Uh, you talked about sales skills, maybe talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about those, um, you know, during that experience.
1: So, um, yeah, so Cutco changed my life. And so there's, it's, there's, it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of people like Cutco's a scam because of the fact that, you know, you are paid 100% commission basically. And, uh, and some people just try to go in there and, you know, they try to, there's there's definitely people that go in and try to work the system. They try to put in fake orders and then return them, and you know then they don't want to give their money back and they're like, oh my gosh, you know they gave me a hundred bucks and it was taken away. Um, but it's hard as hell. Like there's they recruit forty thousand people a year, right? Forty thousand. I will tell you this when I when I I will one hundred percent when I have children make them work for that company or a company equivalent to it. And the reason why is because I learned everything that I needed to learn about people, everything that I needed to learn about business, everything I needed to learn about money, everything I needed to learn about myself when I worked there. And so I was a 19 year old kid and I loved to party like crazy party. Right. It was, it was, it was a little bit too much. It was, it was definitely too much. So I was, I was on that, that path. Right. And then, so I got into Cutco and I was like, okay, I can continue down this path or I could actually become successful and start making money. I had never really made money before the the, the job that I had before I started working for Cutco, the longest job that I had was I was a bird and fish specialist at PetSmart. That was my name. I was legit. My legitimate title was bird and fish specialist for two and a half years. I was paid $7 an hour and I worked like three days a week for two and a half years. And, uh, so I had never really experienced what it was like to have money in my bank account. And so then I saw when I was in training, oh my gosh, this kid's 20 years old and he's making a thousand dollars a week while, Part time at school, that was crazy for me. And so I was like, I could finally start making money. This is that—that was what I was motivated by the most. Um, but what I realized is this: I wanted—I was really interested in being a psychologist. I really wanted to be a psychologist, but I didn't want to go through twelve years of school because I hated school, right? And so what I realized very quickly was that sales is psychology. In order to be a great salesperson, you have to understand number one, you have to understand psychology, but you also have to understand the person's psychology that you're working with. And so for me, I realized, oh crap, sales is psychology. I can basically deal with psychology and make as much as a psychologist by going into sales. And I don't have to waste 12 years of my life going to school. And so that's kind of the the way that I thought about it. And that's what really I started diving into. Um, when I was 19 too, I also hired oddly enough, a sales coach who was my coach, I talked to him 30 minutes a week, um, every single week and I paid him $500 a month. And so at 19 years old, I paid $500 a month to have somebody help me become better, um, personally, but also with my, my sales as well. And that guy completely changed my life because of the fact that I was finally able to talk to somebody who was way more successful than I was. Um, find out how he did it. And I paid, I paid $300 a month in rent. I paid $500 a month for a coach and I didn't even have that money in my bank account. I had a credit card. I put it on it and I said, all right, if this guy's good enough, I should make my money back and be able to pay it off. And so that's what happened. And so when I was 17, I'm sorry, when I was 19 years old, I made $17,000. By the time I was 21 coaching with him for almost two years, I made $177,000 that year. And so he completely changed my life in every aspect. And so that was the best investment I'd ever made in myself. And so the changes that I saw were massive. I went from a kid who was shy to I had to start running interviews. I was 19, 20 years old and I was running interviews for people that were 20, 30, 40. Some people were 60 years old. They were three times my age and I was running interviews for them. Um, In group interviews, three to 10 or 15 people like that. I had to learn how to how to get up and speak in front of people. I had to learn how to act older than I was and act as if. And, you know, what I saw books as as were were education to make me be wiser even if I couldn't be older. And so um then I started running trainings, which are three day, 17 hour seminars, right? Every single week for three days, 17 hours. Like you have to get really good at personal development. You have to get really good. You have to believe in yourself in order to get people to follow you. And so um, I went from a shy kid to, you know, the, the the largest group of people that I had spoken to when I was there was 850 people for an hour, and so it was just completely different for me.
0: Wow, wow, that's incredible. So, you know, I wanna I wanna add some value on this call. I mean, we've been mm-hmm. adding value, but but you know, I wanna I wanna take it to the next level, right? So, mm-hmm. so in in all those years of working with that coach and, and mm-hmm. developing these scale, these sales skills and these people mm-hmm. skills. Um, what are some actionable steps that those who are listening can take to develop their own sales skills and Mm -hmm. and improve themselves, uh, sales wise?
1: So uh, I think as far as sales and also for your own self in general, the number one thing that I learned from him right away was because I was 19, I was good at making excuses, all of those things. And he would give me assignments at the end of every single call. I would kind of hit the assignments. I wouldn't necessarily hit all of them. I'd be a couple minutes late for calls. All of these things. And there was one call um, that I specifically remember. And he's, he, we started talking. He says, hey, I've got a question for you. He said, if a company fails, if a company goes bankrupt, whose fault is it? And I was like, that's oh, you know, probably the CEO's fault. And he goes, now, if a company succeeds, if a company is massively successful, whose fault is it? And I said, it's probably the CEO's fault. And he said, that's exactly right let me ask you this question. If you get to the end of your life and you regret that you didn't do more, that you didn't become more, whose fault do you think that it is? And I was like, it's probably my fault. And he goes, if you get to the end of your life and you're happy about what your life was, if you were excited about it, if you did everything that you possibly wanted to do, you made an amazing life. Whose fault is it? And I said, it's my fault. And he said, so you need to wake up. i realize realized you're only 19 years old but you need to become the CEO of your own life and realize that you are in charge. There are no excuses that you can make for anything. And so the, the biggest advice, piece of advice I can give people, if you're not in a personal development or if you're in a personal development, whatever it is, doesn't matter is to take 100% absolute control of your life and you can no longer blame anybody else. And that's the thing where it's like, I used to be really good at making excuses, right? And it's, it's like the phrase, excuses are like assholes. Everybody's got one and they all stink, right? Like that's, it's the truth where it's like, you could give an excuse for why something didn't work. You could blame your spouse. You could blame Obama. You could blame Trump. You could blame Congress. You could blame your parents. You could blame your past. You could blame anything that you want to blame, but ultimately it comes down to it's your fault no matter what. And if you can take that level of responsibility for your life and realize that you can no longer give any type of excuses, it's your fault if your life is crap at the end of it. It's your fault if your life is great. If you're sitting right now and there is not enough money in your bank account in order to pay your bills, it is your fault. You have to let that sink in. If you have a lot of money in your bank account and you're traveling and you're living the life that you want, it is your fault. And so that's the number one piece of advice that I got from him from the very beginning. And so if someone's in sales, how does that relate to it? Well, if you're succeeding at sales, that's your fault. If you're failing at sales, it's probably because you're making excuses of people not answering the phone when in reality, you probably didn't make enough phone calls, right? There's, there's some sort of fear that you're coming up against where it's like, you know, that if you look at anybody, the most successful salesperson, in every single company, they're the person who works harder than everybody else. So the one who puts in more phone calls, right? Um, I have a friend that's in sales and, uh, and he's the number one sales rep in his company right now, but he makes around 300 phone calls a day, right? Most people will not sit and make 300 phone calls in a day. My best friend to give you an idea, um, like it's, it's, it's difficult to be a realtor. There's a lot of people that are out there that are being realtors and, uh, and a lot of them are lazy and the reason why they're they're not successful is because of that. Uh, but my friend, my best friend was a guy that I met through Cutco. So he knows about sitting down and making tons of phone calls and putting in the hard work. Um, and he just started in December. He got his real estate license in the middle of December. Um, he sits down and makes 60 to 70 phone calls every single day to expired listings. Most realtors will not do that. He's just so you have an idea. We're in. What, what are we in? We're, we just started April, right? Last month, his third full month, Of being on the job he made $45,000 right he made $45,000 his third month on the job of being a realtor and the reason why is because he knows that he cannot blame anybody else so if you're trying to be good if you're trying to be successful in sales or if you're trying to be successful in life you have to take control and realize you're the CEO of your life if it's great it's your fault if you're not where you want to be that is also your fault as well
0: absolutely and and I think that is actionable advice Of, you know, really look at what's going on in your life, right? And Mm -hmm. and if you're happy with where you are and what you're doing, keep doing it, right? Yeah, because and but but if you're not happy, make a change, right? So so I also like how how you brought it back to to the sales thing. Uh, you know, if you want to be more successful in sales, make more calls, keep going, keep doing it, right? Um, so so let's talk about. Uh, let, let's get a little bit technical here, right? Because we've, we've been we've been talking very conceptually, and and I like where we've been going with this. But let's get a little technical for a second. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you pick up the phone, and you're calling a, a prospect, and they just keep saying no. They're they're not giving you the time of the time of day, or you can't get past their secretary or whatever it is. How do you get them to that one-on-one conversation where you can truly gauge whether or not they're interested in in your product.
1: Sure. Okay. I'll give you a perfect example. So what I'm a firm believer in, one of the main reasons why I feel my podcast has been so successful is because I tried to be the complete opposite end of the spectrum of every other one of them right and so what i did was i looked at every i looked at all the podcasts and i said okay there's a lot of podcasts that are very similar they do this they have this format they interview these people they do that and i was like what if i do something completely different most of them are 45 to 60 minutes and a lot of them are interview format what if i did 5 to 10 minutes just me talking right completely opposite of everybody else and i still do some interviews but not not i've probably done 10 out of 250 episodes So if you're trying to set yourself apart, realize, I'll give you a perfect example. I used to work for a company where the only people I could talk to were CEOs. That's the only person I could sit down and have a one-on-one conversation with. I couldn't sit down with anybody else in the office. And so I had to get through to CEOs. Guess what? CEOs are called all day, every day. What can you do that's going to make you different than everybody else? That's what I think. And so the first thing I do, number one, is I don't try to act smarter than anybody else. So what I do legitimately, anytime I went into a new industry or new business or whatever it was, is I found the number one person in that office, the number one sales rep in the, the nation, whoever it was. And I reached out and had a conversation with them and found as much as I possibly could for them. I became a sponge. What did they do? What did they do differently? How many calls do they make? What type of approach do they use? Can they send me their approach so I can read exactly what they say and do exactly what they do? So the first thing is don't reinvent the wheel do exactly what the number one person in your company is doing. That's it, that's the first thing. The second thing is how can you set yourself apart from other people? Okay, if I'm trying to call up a CEO, how can I get in front of a CEO when he's getting emails all day long, when he's getting phone calls all day long? I had, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. This is this is actually something funny that I did. Um, so I took a, a sheet of paper, right? Like a, a printed out white piece of paper, no lines, and I wrote with a black pen. And then all I did was I put, you know, I didn't put a name, but I wrote down all of the stuff that I wanted to, you know, a, a, about me. Hey, you know, Mr. Whatever it was. I understand you're a busy man. You know, this is what my company could do for you because I understand the problems that you have and wanted to see if I could get time with you. So I literally just wrote a couple paragraphs and then said, you know, sign my name at the bottom and had my card. And what I did was I took that white sheet of paper and I got because here's the deal. What happens nowadays? Does anybody send letters to like, does any salesperson send letters? No. So why, how can I get in front of somebody if, if they keep, if I keep hearing, if I've sent him 10 emails and haven't heard back from him, if I have tried to get through his, his gatekeeper, his receptionist, he can't get a hold of him. Well, I know what I can do. I could send him a piece of mail. And if his name is on the front of it, there's a pretty good chance he's going to open that damn thing. And so what I did was I took that white piece of paper And then I bought like the nice paper with like borders around it and all that stuff. And I copied it. It was a black ink that I used. So it literally looked like I wrote each of these people, which I didn't. It looked like I wrote every single one of them a two to three paragraph letter. Right. That sets yourself apart from the very beginning. I used the exact same pen and wrote their name at the top. So it looked like I literally wrote them the thing. I sent out like 150 of them. My manager was like, you will never get anybody to respond to you. Not only did I get people to respond to me, I actually got people who called me. So instead of me calling them, they called me. But then when I did call them, if they didn't call me, if I called them, I was like, hey, I sent you a letter last week. Did you get that? Oh, yeah. Thanks for sending me a letter. I don't know the last time I got a letter and, you know, doesn't mean that they bought from me necessarily, but it, it, it got me on the phone with these people. And then the receptionist says, you know, when the the gatekeeper is like, oh, you want to talk to John? No, he's 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 not uh, he's not available or they'd say, you know, you want to talk to John? Why do you want to talk to him? Oh, you know, I want to talk to him about my company, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then so if whenever if I had sent him a letter, you want to talk to John? Why do you want to talk to John? Oh, I just had some correspondence through the mail with him and I was wondering if he was able to uh, receive it. And they're like, oh, all right, well, let me check. Right. It's different. It's it sets it, it makes them think differently. Um, I had one really big client, well, he was a prospect at the time, and I could not get a hold of him. And what I did was I went on LinkedIn, and this is something that I, LinkedIn is amazing. And so what I would do is I was like, if this person owns a big company, I know he's going to buy a lot from me if I can get in front of him. And so what I did was I went onto his LinkedIn and I was like, let me see if I can figure out and, you know, call me a stalker. I don't care. I was trying to make money. That's all I cared about. What I would do is I would go on their LinkedIn, I would try to find their Facebook and find out anything that I possibly could. I'll give you an example. One guy, this is not the, the same guy, but I'll tell you, it's it's quicker so I can tell you. One guy, I noticed he went to Brown University because you you know it said on his, his LinkedIn, he went to Brown University and I saw on his Facebook, he was wearing a Brown University shirt. I was like, clearly he's interested in Brown. What am I going to do? I'm going to go find a nice hat that's a Brown University hat and I'm going to send that to him in the mail with a handwritten letter. Right. And then when I call him and I called it and have the receptionist, oh, yeah, there was a there was a gift that I sent over to him. I want to make sure he got it from Brown University. All right. Well, hold on. Let me patch you through. Patch you through and get on the phone with him. There was another guy that the craziest one that i had ever had was uh, there was a guy that I knew would be really good. And he was an investor in three different companies. Right. Two of them were alcohol companies based in Austin. And another one was a a company that was uh, they did. They made like um, like workout products. Right. And so what I did was I went to, I sat down with my manager and I was like, Hey, I have this crazy idea. Let me know what you think. He's like, I think it's probably a pretty good idea. All right, cool. Well then I'm going to go ahead and do it. So what I did was I bought two bottles of alcohol, right? The alcohol that he bought, he was an investor in. And I bought the, a product that was one of the weight, the, one of the, uh, the workout company products. And I, it was, I got this, you know, two bottles of alcohol. You have to imagine the size of that plus a workout product. So I had this huge box and I made it. I, we had one one uh, female sales rep that was in the office, and I was like, "Hey, can you help me make this look pretty? Because I don't know what to do." She's like, "Sure, let's let's figure out a way to make you know, we'll shred paper, we'll put shredded paper in there, so it looks really nice." And I went in, and instead of calling him over and over and over again, I went in and I brought in this huge freaking box, and I went straight up to the gatekeeper and I said, "Hey, is you know, I, I won't tell you his name, I still remember it, but is John in, right?" She's like, "Uh, yeah, D- is there something that you need?" I was like, "Yeah, I have to deliver this to him." Okay. Uh, let me go get him. What happens? He literally comes out and I go, Hey, I've got this for you. And he's like, who are you? And I was like, Oh, my name is Rob. I don't want to bore you with my time with, with, uh, with, um, all this, the, the reasons why I'm here. Here's my card. There's a letter in there. If it interests you, you can call me back. Right. He calls me back like 30 minutes later and on the card it said, you know, those are the three companies he invested in. I said, listen, you've made three really good investments in your three companies. Let me talk to you about the next one. And that was all it said. And of course he called me back. And so that ended up turning into, you know, it was a $70,000 deal. So I got about a $21,000 commission off of that one. It cost me a couple hundred bucks to get that together, but that was something that set me apart. So the very first thing like tactically that I think of is how can you be different than every other sales rep that's calling or knocking or sending emails um, because you're just going to get lost if you don't.
0: That is brilliant advice. That is brilliant advice, and I love what you're saying about send mail to people, right? Because mm-hmm. who gets who sends mail nowadays? I mean, that's I awesome. Know. That is awesome, yeah. and, and strategically gifting uh, that that's very powerful. That's awesome. Yeah. So thank you very much for for providing the value. Now I want to talk about um uh, about your history a little bit more. So you said by the time you were 24. Uh, I believe you said 24, you had trained around 2,000 sales reps or so.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. So, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, doing that, about about training people and, and what you learned and, and what skills you developed uh, by working with people so closely and, and teaching them uh, the mm-hmm. things that you knew?
1: Yeah. So, the thing that, that's great about working with so many people and that's made it easier for me to coach people now is that I've worked with so many people and seen so many different problems that people have that it's very easy to do, go, all right, I've trained 2000 people. I've worked with hundreds of other people. Let's try to find some buckets where people kind of fit into. And what I realize is that as, as different as we all are, we're all extremely, extremely similar. Like as, as, <laughs> as, uh, as much of a snowflake, everybody wants to think they are as unique as they are. We all run up with the exact same problems and the same issues, right? And the core thing that I have found and um, the thing that that really is like my, my foundation for any type of coaching with somebody is to figure out what their biggest fear is. And usually everybody's biggest fear, and I'm talking like 99.9% of the time, somebody's fear is that they feel like they're not enough. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. If somebody has, the, if, if I were to ask you know, everybody listening, what's your biggest fear in the entire world? Not spiders, not heights, any of those things. Like, what's your biggest fear that's holding you back from being the person that you want to be? And everybody were to think about it for a second. Usually, what we're going to come up with, I can relate every single one of them back to fear of not being enough, right? If you have the fear of failure, why do you have the fear of failure? Because you feel like you're not enough to succeed. If you have the fear of success, why do you have the fear of success? Because you feel like if you do get to being successful, you don't deserve it and you won't be able to sustain it. And nothing is worse than actually falling from the top. If you have a fear of rejection, the reason why is because you feel like you're not going to be enough to actually be accepted. If you have a fear of running out of money, it's because you feel like you're not enough to either make the money or to hold on to it when you make it. And so like, there's I could go into every single aspect. Feel I I hear this one a lot from a lot of uh, parents, the fear of not being a good enough mother or not good enough father. Why? Because you feel like you're not enough to actually become the great mother or father that you can become. And so what I've come to realize is that if you can get over people's fear of not being enough and have help them walk through the actual fear itself, where it comes from, how it's not serving them and how terrible what you have to do is kind of vision cast. How terrible? Well, not necessarily terrible, but how pissed off would you be if in 10 years from now you're in the exact same position that you're in right now? Right. Because if you allow that fear to exist, you're going to be in the exact same position. What you've hit is your maximum allowable capacity that your fear is allowing you to get to. Right. That's where you are right now. And so if you can figure out what somebody's fear is, what holds them back the most and then talk them through it and show them, okay, well, your biggest fear. I'll I'll give you a perfect example. Um, You know, the the perfect example, I'll go back to the exact same person, one of my coaching clients I was talking about. Right. His fear is the fear of being rejected, which goes back to, once again, not being enough. The reason why it's that is just, you know, it usually comes back to your parents, right, in some sort of way. there is the, the average child is reprimanded eight times more than they're praised. So eight times more in a child's head, they're saying, I'm not enough, than they're saying, I'm enough, right? So it's just like a natural thing. Even if your parents were amazing you don't have to have a psychology degree to have a kid. They could have accidentally screwed you up in some sort of way. And even if they didn't screw you up, you could have seen something in your head or viewed it the wrong way, which makes you feel like you're not enough, right? Then you go into school and you fail a couple tests and what happens? You feel like you're a stupid kid, you feel like you're not enough. Or you get made fun of by kids and then you feel like you're not enough because of it. So it's like, it's constantly reinforced. Then you turn on the TV, you're not enough until you buy our product. So we're constantly seeing this stuff over and over and over again. And so if you can get people past this fear of not being enough, then usually it's, that's like the key to unlocking the door to somebody's potential is that you can realize that, you know, wherever this fear came from, whatever it is, um, what story are they telling themselves with it? And then what you do is this. So the, 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 going back to the the coach I was talking about, let's say his name is, I'm just gonna use the name John again. Let's say John, his biggest fear is the fear of being rejected. That's why he can't make a hundred phone calls a day like he's supposed to, Right is because he has this deep fear of being rejected. So every single time that somebody says no to him, guess what? It hits his biggest fear, his biggest insecurity, and that is terrifying to him, right? But then I find out, okay, well, what's your biggest fear in the world? What, what's your biggest fear besides that psychological fear? His biggest fear in the world, which I told you before, was that he would not be able to move his kids out of the part of town that they were in, and that you know, something terrible would happen. You know, they're, they're younger now, but in five years, his his son or his daughter could get messed up with the wrong people, and his biggest fear could be that one of them will get shot and killed, right? So if I could figure out, he needs to make a hundred phone calls a day on one side. But his fear is his his fear his conscious fear that he thinks about more than anything else is that fear of being rejected. So that's why he's not making the phone calls. What's his biggest fear in the entire world besides that fear? The fear that if he doesn't make a hundred phone calls. His, and doesn't make the money that he needs to, that his kids are going to be killed. Well, which conscious fear do you think he needs to have more present in order to make those phone calls? Is it the fear of rejection? The fear of rejection at that point in time is tiny. But most of the time, we're driven by fear. We're, we're driven by trying to get away from some sort of pain. So if you can associate not... So his. So this I'll give you the example. This is how it works in your brain. His association is the fear of rejection. There's pain to making phone calls because he's afraid of being rejected. What if you were to think about the pain of your children dying if you don't make those phone calls, right? Well, then that's going to not that's going to drive you to get off your ass and to actually push yourself to start working harder. It's a lot. And so, yeah. And so it's it's if you can, if our our brains are problem solving mechanisms, the only thing our brain is designed to do is to keep you alive. And so what it's going to do is it's going to move away from whatever fear you think about. And so if you're thinking about the fear of rejection, you're going to try to move away from it right? You're going to not make those phone calls. But if you think about the fear of the possibility of your children dying, you're going to make so many freaking phone calls that it's, and I'll give you a perfect example. Let me, I'll I'll give you like literally an example right now that everybody can listen to and use. If I were to ask everybody to think of this in your head, what's the percentage chance of you making $1 million this year legally in 2017, 12, let's just say the next 12 months. What's the, in the next 12 months, what's the, what's the chance percentage like what think of it in your head what's the percentage chance of you making one million dollars legally this year some people are like you know when i do this on webinars they're like oh one percent point one percent half a percent zero percent five percent really really no low numbers right but then i say this what's the percentage chance of you making one million dollars this year legally? and if you don't your entire family gets murdered right? What's the percentage chance? What does everybody say? 100%, 100%, 100%, 100%, right? What changed? The goal didn't change. The time frame didn't change. What changed was your driving force behind the goal. If you are so afraid and there's so much, you know how much pain it is to go through if everybody that you love is murdered, it's a lot of pain. You're going to run straight to that, that, that goal of, you know, cause so what it shows you is this, we're holding ourselves back in every sort of way. So if you can go from a 0% chance to 100% chance within 30 seconds, does that show you how much you limit your own potential every freaking day? And so if you can get people to associate pain to not doing what they need to do, then they'll go after whatever it is that they need to do.
0: That is powerful. That is so powerful, and that was a great example. I mean, when when you were saying that, I was I was answering it in my own head, and mm-hmm. and then when you, when you gave the follow up, uh, you know, situation, I was like, "Wow, that is powerful. That's cool." Yeah. So so thank you yeah. for sharing that. So of course, um, you know, you talked about how your office became the number one office in the, in that region,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it might still stand today as mm-hmm. the number one office. Mm-hmm. Well. What specifically did you do in order to achieve that—that that, uh, you know—that top ranking?
1: Yeah, for sure. Let me do this. I'm gonna pause you real quick. I gotta get a charger for my phone or right, for my for my computer. I'm at nine percent. Uh, okay, give me one second. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So the question was, what did I do specifically to get my office to, to break the record? Yeah. <clears throat> so what I did to have them break the record was this. I had my own personal goal. And my personal goal was to beat my old manager's record. And so my old manager, um, who was my mentor in the business, his record was it was around 475,000 dollars for the first four months of being open, the first summer. And it had stood for, let me think, it would have been about six years that that it exists. And my goal was to break that record. That was my own personal goal. But here's the thing that I think most people don't realize is that if you have a personal goal, if people care about you, they'll care about your goal a little bit, right? But ultimately, what everybody cares about is what's in it for me. Right. So it was always what's in it for them. And so every single time that I ran an interview, that I ran a training, that I ran a team meeting, all of those things, it was, hey, here's our office goal to sell $490,000 for the summer to $500,000 for the summer. Actually, it was, it was actually 500000 was was my goal for the entire summer because he did 4, 475, seventy five. I want to do five hundred, So I was like, we're going to break the record. We're going to do this. I understand that you might care a little bit about the record. But let me tell you what it's going to do for you. And so what I did, and this is a this is a huge problem I think a lot of managers have and I understand because I mean I was put into a management position at 20. I knew I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I had to learn and read books on how to become a better manager and there's a, a there's a great book called The Dream Manager. It's super short, it's very easy. And it talks about how to manage people through their own dreams. And so what I would do is, you know, I had my personal goal of selling $500,000 for the summer but I wasn't in any appointments. I was getting other people to do these appointments. So I had to get them to be driven towards their goals. And so I was like, you know, our goal is $500,000, but what specifically is your goal? What is, you know, by us hitting it as a team, you obviously have to hit some goals as well. What are your goals? And you find out exactly what people's goals are and you drive them to it. And I would, you know, I I knew my people's goals. So if I was in a team meeting, there was 40 people in front of me, I might not know every single person's goal off the top of my head, But I could say, hey, and I reminded them all the time. We're selling $500,000 this summer. And the reason why is because if we do this office all collectively, we have to hit our own goals, which means, Sarah, you're going to be able to buy the car that you want. You know, Johnny, you're going to be able to go and pay for college next semester, whatever it is. And I would I would be able to know that and drive people through their own goals. Well, then if I see somebody at the, we used to have things called phone jams. You come to the office, you make a bunch of phone calls. If I have someone in, you know, Sarah, say let's say uh stephanie right stephanie's in there and she's making phone calls and she she needs to make 50 phone calls in order to set up the knowing her numbers she needs to set let's say every 10 phone calls she sets an appointment on average right that's what we know over the course of you know i always need to know my people's statistics their numbers and so if she needs to have five appointments she makes 50 50 phone calls let's say she's at 20 calls she's had a bunch of terrible people she's been on the phone with that she's not motivated anymore well then i can't walk up to her and be like hey stephanie our goal, we're trying to sell five hundred thousand dollars this, this because she doesn't care about the goal that much. She doesn't care about the goal enough to face the fear of rejection again over and over and over again. And so what you do is you manage people to their goals. Stephanie, hey, I know you're going, you're you're trying to pay for a semester at LSU next semester, right? It's an expensive school. That's out of state, right? You not you might not be able to go unless you start making some money. Why do you want to do it? Why do you want to go to that school? Oh, because you want to be a doctor or whatever, whatever it is. And you, 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 like I said, you vision cast. You, you make them think into the future of how great it would be if they do make those phone calls and hit their goals, right? And so the way that I did it was, number one, If you haven't noticed, I'm I'm like super passionate person in the first place because like I know what I want and I'm driven towards it. So the person that I am right now was exactly how I was in all of my team meetings and all of my trainings and all of all of those things. So people, because I most people try to hide their passions, but I heard a phrase a long time ago that said, if you set yourself on fire, people will come to watch you burn. And that's how it was. Like I was on fire all of the time. Everybody knew what the office goal was and everybody knew how them hitting the goal would help the office as well. And so the goal was 500000 We sold 491000 for the summer. Um, so we didn't hit that goal, but we did break the $475,000 record, um, which I it was in 2000. Yeah, so it'll be eight years this year, I believe, still stands according to uh, what the regional manager told me. So um, that was the way to motivate people to get to their goals was to to know exactly what it is. And another example of this, I had on my podcast, I had uh, Jeff Hoffman, who's the, the billionaire founder of Priceline.com. And he did this not knowing that this book existed, the dream manager, and, and he had a guy who worked for him and he gave me the example of he wanted to buy his, it was in New York City that they had this place, they had an office and he said, what's your biggest goal in the world? He said, my biggest goal, he's from Florida, is to be able to buy his mom a house in Florida. And so she had never lived in a house, it was always apartments, you know, she always wanted her own place and his biggest goal is to be able to buy her one. And so every single time we went up to this guy, well, what he actually did was he said, okay, what I want you to do is go online, Find a picture of what you feel is like the perfect house for your mom, and print it out and bring it to me. Prints it out, he brings it to him the perfect house, and he puts that on the, in front of his desk, right next to his his phone. And every single time he went up to him, he'd say, "Hey, you know, John, how many phone calls have you made today?" He would say, "Hey, John, how much closer are you to getting your mom a house, right?" And he was he was dr- making him become driven by driving him to his goals, versus just money or just the office goals or any of those types of things. And so. I think that if you're a manager, or if you're gonna become a manager, if you could focus on your people and what they want, because all anybody cares about is what's in it for me, um, you'll be 10 times more successful than everybody else.
0: That's incredible, that's incredible. So, you know, just just to try to get the, the timeline uh, organized, um, at what point, how old were you when you did hit that goal of, of becoming the number one office?
1: Uh, so I was 2009, so I was 23
0: okay and then so then after that in 2004 uh, mm-hmm. um that's when you became that's when you started training all those people and, and you trained up the the 2000 and then you said i believe at 26 was it that you you backpacked around um mm-hmm. in in europe so mm-hmm. can you maybe take us from uh the the time at 24 when you were when you were training people and coaching them and, and doing these interviews um mm-hmm up to the time when you did go backpacking? What were you doing in in, in that span of time?
1: So at that point in time, I left Cutco and went to another company um, that was struggling and became quasi-partner in the company and also helped them with their sales. And so what I did was I helped a company, they had about 20,000 products, it was a lot, and it was all products that had to do with um, building and it was mostly building, just to kind of give you an idea, um, kitchens or bathrooms. Now, this was in 2010 in Florida. And if you know anything about the housing market, Florida got destroyed in 2008, 2009 with the housing. And so there was very little building that was happening. And so what I did was I went into this company and helped them build their Florida market. And you know, in, in what was a, one of the worst years, 2010, we were able to build it over 33% in that time but i realized that i was not passionate about um <laughs> I honestly wasn't passionate about parts for kitchens and bathrooms and it was it was everything you could think of it was like the cabinets themselves it was all every type of handle you could want for the cabinet the little hinges that open it the slides that go inside of the drawers um vanity sinks everything you could possibly think of i wasn't passionate about that like that's i'm not put on the planet to get make sure that you know builders are able to get sinks in people's houses and so it was about you know, I went from from running my own office, being an entrepreneur to, you know, being in this company. And I realized that I'm not a good employee. And at least I know that I don't want to sell this stuff for the rest of my life. And so it took me about, let's see, I started with them in January. It took me about four months before I realized that I was going to leave. And, uh, and what happened was my, I was sitting at, it was Mother's Day. So it was five months because I think Mother's Day is in May. I was sitting in my aunt's house. My cousin, who is like, he's like Buddha. He's like just wise, you know, and he's he's sitting down. He's having a conversation. He's like, so how's everything going? You know, how's everything with your girlfriend? I was like, oh, yeah, we broke up. He's like, oh, that sucks. How's everything with the business? I was like, nah, I'm not really passionate about it. I don't know what to do. And he goes, literally 30 seconds into our conversation. Why don't you just go backpack Europe for a while? And I was like, all right, I'm going to go do it. It was literally like that decision was made. I was, I'm going to do it. And so, um, and so this was the B, this was the end of 2000. Yeah. I started with them right at the end of 2010. So it was actually 2011 was when this happened. Um, and I made the decision I'm going to go. And so I saved up for a year. I saved about $30,000. I was as cheap as I possibly could be. I lived in a, I lived with a friend and his girlfriend as they were breaking up, they're about to break up. I didn't know that yet. Um, in a foreclosed house, And so Florida had some weird laws where if a house is foreclosed on, but somebody is still renting it, the house cannot be taken away. The the bank cannot take the bank until their lease is over. So I stayed inside of a tiny little room. I paid like $250 or $300. It was like the cheapest rent ever. It was like $300 a month. And I saved as much as I possibly could over the next year. And I was like, I'm going to go to Europe and that's all that matters. And so it was, uh, yeah, so it was exactly a year because June 1st of, uh, of 2012 is when I went to Europe and I backpacked for three months. I went to 12 different countries and 26 different cities. Um, and I fell in love with it and I, I, I became obsessed with traveling. And so like for me, I'll kind of give you an idea of what that did to me and why, why it really means a lot to me right now is because of the fact that, um, I became so obsessed with traveling and with wanting to travel was two years ago. I was like, I have to start a business where everything is completely online. I can't work for somebody else. I can't, deal with 10 or 15 days of, you know, PTO and getting just that amount of time off of work. I need to be able to travel and go wherever the hell I want. So over the past two years, I've put everything that I possibly can into building businesses that are online so that all I can do, I can do everything over my computer. So, and the reason why was because I wanted to live in another country. So I gave myself a two year timeline and my number one goal for this year, and you can actually, the funny thing about it is you could see for people that are viewing on YouTube or however this is going to be. It says July 1st, my number one goal for July 1st. I don't know if you can see it. It looks like there's a reflection. It says Italy. And so, uh, yeah, we're actually going to be living there by June 1st. And so the uh, that's the cool thing about it where it's like, you know, I didn't know that going, to, going to, to Europe would completely change my view in what I wanted to do with my life. But it made me realize I have to have my own business. I have to be able to work for my computer. And that's what I'm going to do. And it worked out. So now we're moving to Italy, uh, June first.
0: Wow! Congratulations, man. That, that's Thanks, awesome. Man. That's awesome. So, you know, I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about that transition, mm-hmm. from when, you kind of you you, you said, okay, I don't want to work for anybody. I'm not mm-hmm. a good employee, and I totally feel you on that. You know, I'm I'm also not a good employee. Um, right. But but you know, when you decided, and, and you said before that. Uh, you started an e-com business and then you have your mm-hmm. podcast, right? So mm-hmm. so maybe talk about, uh, and, and let's talk about e-com first and then we'll move into the, to the podcast second. Okay. Um, how'd you do it? You know what, what steps did you take in order to build a fully functional online business that you can run remotely from anywhere?
1: Um, <clears throat> a lot uh, a ton. And so I had never sold, I've sold a lot of stuff face to face. I could sell really well, I believe, but I knew nothing about selling stuff online. I knew nothing about anything online. And so I got to the point where I was like, I told my girlfriend, I was like this company that I'm with, I was doing training, you know, sales training and sales with them. I was like, I don't want to be here. I hate it. I was, I was just, I was making more money at that point in time than I ever had in my entire life, but I was completely unfulfilled. And I was like, these, these dollars in my bank account mean nothing to me. And I wasn't buying stuff anymore. And so I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to save as much as I possibly can. When this breakup happens with be, between the company that I'm with, because I know it's eventually going to happen, um, I'm going to have enough money to live off of for a long time. And so what I did was I was extremely cheap. When the breakup happened, I had enough money to cover my expenses for two years. I could do whatever the hell I wanted. And so I was like, I know that I need to start my own business. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to get into it. And so what happened was I was like, okay, and this is this is a problem I think most people come up with is that they, they decide they want to do something and they either don't have enough money saved or they don't have a full they quit their full time job and they can they have three months to to be able to build a business like that doesn't you can't do that. Um, it takes time to be able to start paying your bills off of companies um, like if you're if your company is doing doing some type of profit in six months or a year, you're doing pretty damn well. And so, um, for me, it was like, I'm going to give myself so much of a runway that if I screw up, I could go to do, I could I could either keep going on that same path or I could go to something else. And so what happened was I left the company and it was, uh, I realized that we were basically breaking up in, uh, in November and I was leaving the company. And, uh, and so what I did was in November, I went, actually it was before November now I'm thinking of it. Um, before November happened, it was probably around August, I started going to networking groups, like a lot of networking groups. Cause I realized once again, I told you, I know I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I will find the smartest person in the room and I'll learn everything that they know. And so I started going to these networking groups and there's one here in Austin called internet marketing party. And what that is, is people who sell stuff over the internet. So I went every single month to it. And I talked to as many people as I possibly could. And I built up friendships, people that I'm great friends with now, two years later. Um, from going to this. And I tried to learn as much as I possibly could. Well, then I went there and I had a conversation with a guy. Um, and he was right around the same age as me and he sold stuff on Amazon. And I was like, I didn't even know you could sell stuff on Amazon. We started talking about it. Then I met another guy later on that night and he's like, Oh, I sell stuff on Amazon. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, how am I meeting two people in one night when I know nothing about selling stuff on Amazon? And, uh, and so I was like, I need to see what this is all about. So um, the guy who I met, the first one who I met, had a conversation, super nice guy, didn't really think anything of it. I was like, I'm going to Google him and see if I can find any information on what he does. Ends up, he has a YouTube and um, he, had, he had a video on YouTube that explained what he did. And I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's making like a million dollars a month. I was like, this is crazy. I need to start figuring some of this stuff out. And, uh, and so I went into it. I called up my best friend who was also wanting to leave the company he was at. And I was like, hey, I've got this idea come out to Austin, like, let's spend a weekend. Let's talk about it. See what we can do. So we decided to partner up. We ended up starting an Amazon business, um, going through, figuring out all of the logistics of how to get a product made, how to get a product shipped from, uh, China, how to get it on Amazon, how to do all of those things. And, uh, and we got that up and running. And, uh, and then what happened was I was, I had, I, my podcast was already running at this point in time. I was already doing one-on-one coaching. I've been doing one-on-one coaching for a long, long time. And then, um, what happened was I was like, all right, well, you know, how can I, there's a, I have tens of thousands of people listening to listen to the podcast. I only take 12 one-on-one coaching clients. There's a lot of people in between there that kept reaching out and saying, what do you have? What do you have? What do you have? I don't have anything. And I was like, how can I get something in between? Let me start a group coaching program. So I started doing group coaching and people signed up for it and they, I mean, I have like 138 people in my group coaching right now. And so I'm able to have both of those businesses run completely online. And the only reason why I think more than anything else is because I went. To, I hate networking events because of the fact that I am still, I'm an extroverted introvert. I don't want to go out and talk to people. I'd, I'd rather not. Um, but I force myself to do it because I know that there's people out there who have the knowledge that I need. And maybe I have some knowledge that they need. I have a deep understanding of sales. I can help a lot of people with sales because a lot of people are not good at it. And maybe they can help me and we can become friends and exchange tips and, and those types of things. And so, um, so that's kind of the... the the way that that whole thing transitioned.
0: Wow. That's incredible. So, you know, from, from when you started with Mm -hmm. e-commerce, until you became successful and, and Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to define success because I think everybody has to define that for themselves. But, but at the point to where uh, you felt that you could sustain yourself off of that business, Mm-hmm. Um, how long did that take? And, um, you know what what tools did you use did did you use did you use just Amazon did you use Shopify do you have your own website and and you know so so technically how did you do it?
1: So um, so a couple of different things. There's a couple of parts to that that question. So how did we do it? Was that I learned once again I'm not the smartest person in the room, and so what I said was all right. Let me see if there's podcasts out there to learn how to get better at Amazon. There is. There's one called The Amazing Seller. I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to listen to every single episode that I can of this guy. There's also another one that's called FBA All Stars. I listened to all of these different ones. Became obsessed with it because they give a lot of great tips, but then they also have a lot of people who come on and give great tips. So what do I do? I listen to people who are already making a million dollars a year off of it or a million dollars a month or whatever it is the numbers are. Um, What happened for me? So Amazon, it took a little while to, to start being able to get profit off of Amazon as far as the actual, you know, my other business, my coaching business, um, the thing that most people don't realize is that I put 10 months into a podcast of building a following just because it was my passion project before I even started to even think about making money off of it. Right. Most people think that they can like build a following right away and start going and and start making money off of it. There is, there is no way that that's ever going to happen where you can just start it. I can start a pod. I can start a podcast today, start a following and then you know, one month I'll have people start paying me money to teach them whatever it is that they're, you know, whatever it is my skill set is. Um, mine was 10 months of just absolutely three, three times a week. So let's see if it was 10 months. That was, I was about 120 episodes in before I even had one thing that I put out there. And so I had a huge following at that point in time. So that took 10 months before I even tried to monetize it. And then, you know, that was because of that, it was successful right away. Um, because I put 10 months of of hard labor into it, making sure every single day that it was growing and getting better. Um, Amazon Business took a little bit of time, um, and it's it's still nowhere near where I wanted it to be. We had a Shopify set up, we ended up, this is the one thing that, that I tend to realize with a lot of people with entrepreneurs, and I found myself doing it, and my business partner as well, is they have SOS, which is shiny object syndrome, right? We're selling on Amazon. Well, why don't we sell on spot? Uh, why don't we sell on Shopify too? Right, and we can. We definitely could, and we tried. We did it. We got some a couple of sales and all those things. But what I realized is like you have to have your one thing, and you have to go really freaking hard on your one thing before you start focusing on other things. And so for me, like it was Amazon for about five months. I was really hardcore into it, and then I told my 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 partner, I was like, Hey, I'm gonna step away a little bit from it. Do you want to take over it? I'm I'm okay with having less equity in the company if that's if that's the case because you could do more of it like I'm a, I'm okay being partially in it but what I really want to focus on is this coaching and doing these things and, and growing this side of my business as well and so you know what I always think with people is that it, you can be on every single shopping website but to be everywhere means that you're probably not going to be good at any of them focus on one and go hardcore into that one and once it's at a sustainable point where you're making money it's going and you feel like it's successful then start going to something else because there's no way to be an expert at Amazon and an expert at Shopify at the exact same time. You have to become an expert at Amazon first, then transition once that's running and be an expert at Shopify. And so um, that's kind of, uh, if that answers your question, that's kind of the the way it kind of transpired and I'm very hands off in Amazon now um, because of the fact that I know what I'm focused on more than anything else.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm very interested in uh, talking about your podcast. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for people who may not be as familiar with it yet, um, mm-hmm. can you talk about kind of, you know, what is it, you know, maybe, maybe give a little bit of insight on, on what it is and, and the purpose of it and, and the audience that you, uh, you know, project it.
1: Yeah. So, um, so basically my audience, it's, man, mean, it's everybody that you could possibly think of. It's literally, it's, it was hard for me to find like my one niche in avatar is because of the fact that most people have some sort of problem of getting in their own way. Um, so my podcast is MWF motivation. So MWF stands for Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I was, I literally was like, how can I make the name so that anybody could be, you could define the stupidest person and they could go, when does it come out? Oh, yeah, it comes out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. What is it? Oh, yeah, it's motivational. Like, that's that's what I designed the name for. Um, and so it's like five... I'm, I'm a very long-winded person, as you could tell. I can dive deep into subjects, and I love to. Um, but my my podcast is very short and to the point. And so for me, I noticed when I first started listening to podcasts, when I worked for somebody else, I had like a 20-minute drive. I would only get like one-tenth of the way through some podcasts. And I was like, how can I make a podcast that's so short... That by the time somebody gets to the office, they already feel like they were impacted immensely because they got the information they needed and it ended. It was done. It was wrapped up. They got their action steps, and so, um, so yeah, it's it's the the way that I explain it is it's it's short to the point, no BS podcast. Like I'm not like the person that's like, hey, I believe in you. Hey, high five. You can do it. Go out and have a beautiful day. Like I'm not that person, so I, I don't try to be that person. I'm very much like, hey, let's figure out what the problem is. Here's what most people's problem is. Here's how you can put it in your life, and here's how you can fix it. And so that's very much how every single one of them is, where it's five to 15 minutes. And I, in that case, I have to be very short and to the point and get all of the information out. Because here's the thing. Um, this, we've been talking for a while now, and there's a lot of stuff that I feel that's been pretty good. But you could probably cut this up and give like a 20-minute like. Boom, boom, boom! Like all of my best stuff of this. And so, like for me, it was like, all right, I have this subject which I spent two hours researching and putting a lot into. How can I say this in as little words as possible? And it's just like a book. You can read a three hundred page book, but you can go back and read the stuff that you underlined in ten minutes. And that's that's what I wanted my podcast to be. And that's uh, that's kind of the idea of the the short to the point episodes.
0: Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I would like you to maybe take a moment. Uh, to to tell everybody how they can go and and find out about your podcast and, and listen to it and, and where they can consume all that content.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, however they're listening to this now, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, all of those Podbean, all of those things, I'm on all of them. Um, they just type in MWF Motivation. MWF is you know like Mike said Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, if they want, you know. the the two other channels that I'm biggest on, um, is Facebook. So if somebody wants to get all of the crap out of their Facebook and put motivational inspirational stuff in it, um, they can go to facebook.com slash MWF motivation. There's about, um, 78,000 people that follow us on there right now. Um, and then I also have a YouTube station where I'm putting a lot in my YouTube. So my podcast is three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. My YouTube is Monday through Friday. Uh, videos. And so they can go to, uh, what is it? MWF slash YouTube and it'll send them directly to my YouTube station, which, you know, or they just go to YouTube and type in Rob Dial and I should pop up.
0: That's awesome. So again, I'm going to put a bunch of those links down in the description below or however you're, uh, you know, listening to this or, or, or hearing this or, or reading this. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be links available to you. Um, I'm gonna try to make that as easy to find as possible highly encourage you to go check out Rob's podcast Um, He's awesome. So definitely do that. Thanks, man. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So so Rob, let's uh, let's let's get back to the value Let's 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 drop some value bombs here, right? So you said it took you about 10 months um, until you got to the point where you uh, Either felt comfortable monetizing or or where you started monetizing right Mm -hmm. And, and then I believe you said Um, that you reached over a million uh, downloads with with your podcast, Mm -hmm. that is incredible. That is awesome. So for aspiring podcasters and and for people who may not know how to do that, can Mm -hmm. you give some insight Mm -hmm. on how to do it, how to build that up, how to get some momentum?
1: Yeah. Once again, I didn't. I, I wasn't the smartest person in the room. So what I did was I I went on every single podcast that I could listen to about podcasting. I read it, every article that I could. I found every YouTube station that I could that talked about podcasting. I took all of the best stuff that I could. It was probably about a month of research of putting. All right, what do I want to do? How do I do it? And I did it. And what I realized, the first thing I realized, is that the average podcast stops at seven episodes. Right? That's when the podcast host gives up. Seven episodes. And so I said, okay. I'm going to make 14 episodes. So therefore I've doubled it and I'm going to have all of them in the, in the, you know, in the hopper and I'm going to put all of them out, schedule them out. And it scheduled it out for about a month is what it it told it out to. Um, and people listened to it and it grew, but then also it didn't grow by itself. I think a lot of people just passively are like, all right, well here, I'm going to put it out and just hope that people start showing up. No, what I did was I told every person that I possibly could on my Facebook. I didn't like Direct message every single person, or anything like that. But I put on my Facebook every single time a new one go live. Also, what I did was I went to a couple different groups that were like motivational groups on Facebook, and I said, Hey, I don't know if self promotion is okay, but you guys are into motivation. I started a motivational podcast. Here's the link to listen to it. I did it on I did it on Instagram. I did it on LinkedIn. I did everything, every avenue that I possibly could. Where I have thousands of connections on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, maybe somebody out there will want to listen to it. And so what I did was. I have a friend that's that's really, really good at marketing. He says, you should have no less than fifty percent, a lot of people are like really big on putting out a ton of content, which I am. But he said no less than fifty percent of your time should be spent on marketing that content. And so I could make an episode on Monday, and then just put another one out on Wednesday, and then put another one out on Friday. Or I could put one out on Monday, market all of Monday, market all of Tuesday for that episode. And then I can pull one out on Wednesday and market all of Wednesday for that episode and market all of Thursday for that one. And so that's what I ended up doing where it's like most of my time was spent marketing my podcast and trying to get it out to ears who would actually listen versus just making it. And so I think that's the most important part is realizing like you can't just start a podcast and put it out there and hope that people start listening. Um, what you have to do is find out the people who are your avatar, the people that that's what we call it in the, in the podcast, your avatar, the people who like is your perfect listener where are they and how can you get that message in front of them?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I think there is something to be said about uh, consistency as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you first started, did, did you always, uh, you know, did you always plan on doing it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or did that just kind of become something that, that developed over time?
1: No, it was always going to be Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, because I just thought, you know, the average podcaster puts out one episode a week. How can I work three times harder than them? Is just what I thought. What days do people need motivation? Usually on Monday because they just got out. they don't, they don't want to be at work. Wednesday because it's the middle of the week, it's hump, hump day, and Friday because of the fact that they would rather be out on the weekend. And so it was just like it was, it was a consistency. I have, I started it. So what are we in? We are in uh, April. So I started it. April, May, June, July, August. I started it um, 17 months ago, and I have not missed a Monday, Wednesday, or Friday in 17 months. And that's one thing that I think a lot of pod- podcasters don't do. And so for me, it was just like, how can I make sure that I'm so consistent that people can know that they can rely on my podcast being there every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And and you also were were talking about you know during the e-commerce time about finding that one thing that works, right? Whether it be Amazon or Shopify and, 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 you know, really focusing on that one. Do you find that it's the same for podcasting where you want to find one channel where everybody's listening or, or do you just try to put it out on as many different platforms as possible?
1: Um, I try to put out on as many platforms as possible, but I tried to become an expert at one of them and that's what I did. So at first what was interesting is, is because I knew I was going to be starting the podcast, I grew an Instagram following by putting up motivational Instagram quotes, because I was like, that would probably work. So then I grew that. And what I did was I figured out how to grow an Instagram following. I went all over online, tried to figure it out. And by the time I launched my podcast, I probably had probably about 20,000 followers on Instagram um, that I built over about four or five months. But I put every freaking day into building that Instagram. Um, And then what happened was I was like, all right, my Instagram is good. Um, one thing that's crazy is Elo Cool. Jay follows me on Instagram, um, which is kind of cool. He follows my podcast on, on Instagram. So I don't know if he listens, but, um, I should probably interview him if he does. Um, but he's been following me now for almost, yeah, over, almost since the, actually, no, he followed me before I started the podcast. So he's been a follower for almost two years now. Um, and so the cool thing about it is, is like I went straight hardcore at Instagram, and slowly started building up Facebook. And then what happened was I was like, all right, Instagram is good. I'm pretty good at this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hire somebody and teach them exactly what I know with Instagram and have them do it from now on. Now I'm going to go hardcore at Facebook. And so, you know, even though I had 20,000 people that followed me on Instagram when I first started the podcast, um, I have more people now that follow me on Facebook than on Instagram because of the fact that I decided that was my next avenue to go after. So I put it everywhere, but I tried to specialize in just one of them.
0: Absolutely, and so, you know, when when you're talking about, um, you know, about where you put it up on, you know, you said iTunes, Google Play Store, um, and and the various the various channels, um, are those the places that you drive your Facebook traffic to, or do you just put it up on Facebook and that's where you want to aggregate your community? Like, what what's the strategy there? What's the thought process behind that?
1: Um, both. I do both of them. I try to drive people to, so if I have a Facebook, um, the thing about Facebook is, is usually only about one to 2% of the people that follow you on Facebook are actually going to see what you post. Um, and so what that means is that I could post one thing about, here's my iTunes link. But then I could also post, here's the video of the podcast because I set up my camera and videotape it as well. But then I could also say, this video is on YouTube if you want to click on YouTube. And I could put it out multiple times throughout the course of the day, which seems like I'm spamming my people. Where you're like, wait, you're putting the exact same thing out in different formats four or five times a day or over the course of two days. Really, I'm not because if only one one to two percent of the 79,000 people that follow us on Facebook see it, there's a pretty good chance that somebody didn't see my last post. And so I'm trying to get them to see every possible way that they can listen to my information um, as possible because some people prefer YouTube. Like I prefer YouTube over podcasts. And so I want to make sure that my YouTube continues to grow because if not, I'm not even my own target market. And so um, I try to put it out. Once again, I try to market as much as possible. So if you go on to my I had an episode, go live today because it's Friday. If you go on my Facebook right now, I have the Libsyn, which went up as a video. I have the, um, the actual link so you can download it and you can listen to it on iTunes. I have the link so you can listen to it on SoundCloud. Um, I have every possible avenue that you can listen to it popping up. And so it's like every two hours, there's usually a post that comes out for me. And the reason why is because I know most people aren't going to see my post anyways because of Facebook's algorithm just trying to make less and less people see it. Because you know, the less people that see my stuff, the more likely I am to advertise it and for Facebook to make money.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. And, and again, I really do appreciate you uh, providing the value that you have um, sure. on, on the show. I think it's been um, you know, truly, truly helpful and, and impactful to, to people. So, yeah. you know, let's talk about, we talked a lot about your past. Uh, we, we got a lot of the, uh, a lot of good technical knowledge as well. Um, let's talk about where you are right now. So, mm-hmm. so what is your biggest passion right now? And and what do you spend most of your time doing as of today?
1: Yeah, most of my time doing is what I've realized is I'm really good at content. Um, That's my specialty. Um, I know a lot about Facebook. I know a lot about Instagram, but I don't want to spend my time doing it. So for me, it's like, how can I spend my time Making as much content as possible. And so I make my content, I, then I edit, edit the videos because I want that's, I enjoy doing that. I, I'm only doing the things that I enjoy doing now. I enjoy editing, I enjoy making the content, planning it, recording it. So that's what I spend my time doing, and then outsource everybody else to do my Facebook advertising, to do my Instagram, to do all of those things. Um, and so I spend my time just making content and then paying people because my business is at the point where I can pay other people, which is great, to do all of the other things. Because I can only put, if I could put 100% of my effort into one thing, well then if I have Facebook and my content and Instagram, I can only put 33% of my energy into each one of them. But if I have content and I can put 100% into that and pay someone to put 100% into Facebook and pay someone to put 100%, instead of 100% total, which would just be me as a human, I'm getting 300% across the board. And so my main passion is making content and getting the information out there as much as I possibly can. So that people can hear me and go, oh, I connect with this guy. And if they do, they can follow me in some sort of way. Because ultimately, once again, I'm just trying to have a name that has a big enough clout that I can get, you know, world leaders to stop being such babies um, at some point in time in the future. And uh, and so that's what I spend my time doing all day long now.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. So, yeah. you know, we've we've talked a lot about, um, you know, personal development and motivation. Mm-hmm. And really developing yourself and and, and building yourself up and and at one point um, you said that you like books because um, that's a way to make yourself wise whereas Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have the age yet to right so so that being said uh, if you could recommend three books uh, to the audience what would those books be and and why would you recommend them
1: so okay good question also I have like three or four more minutes, just FYI. So the books that I would recommend, people can actually download my top 10 book list if they want. If they go to mwfmotivation.com book list, those are the 10 books that I recommend that anybody read uh, because they're my favorite. I've read hundreds of them. If I were to say the top three books here, I'll actually show you my number one. It's always literally right here next to me. It's Think and Grow Rich, um, which this one is like, I think that this is like the, for me, the most life-changing book I've ever had. And it's like, Everything is so highlighted and underlined in this book um, because of the fact that it's there's so many parts to being successful and just I mean, this is like if you're looking on YouTube or however this can be up like this page is destroyed of just notes. Um, and so Think and Grow Rich is always the first one. The second one is called The One Thing, which is by uh, Jay Papasan and Gary Keller. And uh, it talks about exactly what I've been talking about with you. Concentrate on one thing. That's it. Just concentrate on one thing and nothing else because there's there's no reason to have a plan B because it distracts from plan A, right? The whole the whole premise of having a plan B is in case plan A screws up. So just like burn the ships. Plan A has to work or you're going to die. Like that's the way that you got to think about it. So thank you, Grow Rich. Um, the one thing, and then let me turn around behind me and because I have a, a big old stack of them back here. Um, and then the last one I would say is called man's search for meaning, which is a true story about, um, a psychologist who lives through through Auschwitz and, uh, talks about the difference between somebody who was in a Nazi prison camp who had a purpose in their life and felt like they did versus somebody who felt like they didn't have a purpose in their life and how the difference, and you could see somebody visibly, and physically deteriorate because of the fact that they they didn't they they felt like that was it. They were in this this prison camp they were going to be there forever and they were going to die there. They lost all hope versus someone who has a meaning in their life. And so that's called uh, so Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Um, the second one is The One Thing by Jay Papasan and Gary Keller and the third thing is called Man's Search for Meaning which is by a guy named Victor Frankl.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for those recommendations. Mm-hmm. So you know, I have two more questions for you. and uh, mm-hmm. I can only imagine you're very busy. So again, thank you for your time. Um, mm-hmm. The first one being, you know, doing all the things that you've done uh, and having all having all of the success that you have had. Mm-hmm. How would you describe yourself? You know, who when if you were describing yourself to somebody else, who would who would you tell people that you are?
1: Hmm. Um. I don't know if I've ever been asked that question. I'm gonna have to think about that one. Who would I describe to someone that I am? Um, I'm somebody who, who over the past 15 years, after watching my, you know, my father pass away, was somebody who had to. Figure out his passion his reason for being alive because I was so aware that the fact that I was going to die that I wanted to make sure that I was able to Make something I I was I was visibly able to see what I felt my father make nothing out of his life, right? He made us my sister and my, and you know myself um, But he didn't make anything out of it So I felt kind of obligated to make sure that I had something come out of it and so I feel with that obligation I wake up every single morning and I'm driven towards it. There's times when I'm recording my podcast and I'm I'm literally the same person in my podcast as I am right now. And when I first started, my, my girlfriend thought when she would come home, she'd hear me upstairs and she thought I was on the phone screaming at somebody because I'm so passionate about trying to help other people get better. And the reason why is because I've been in a situation of being desperate, not having money, feeling hopeless and all of that. And it took me a long time to get out of it. My goal is to be able to teach people how to get out of it as quick as they possibly can so that they can live the life that they want to. And so if I were to summarize myself really quickly, I think that would be the, the perfect way to do it.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and the last question I have for you today, Rob, is is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that I did not ask you about today? In other words, what did I miss?
1: Oh, let's see. Um, nothing really. I'm really passionate about music. That's but the only thing we didn't talk about. Um, I love music, and uh, my first real passion in life was music, and it still is. And I originally thought that that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life was be a musician. Um, but I've come to realize that um, I can be a musician and still impact the world. I think the first thing was. When I was a kid, I, I kind of got soulless in, in listening to music and being being able to you know go away and hide away and listen to it and have, have it make me feel better. And so I think I wanted to be a musician in order to make people feel better because that's what it did for me. But I've come to realize that I'm making people feel better by what I'm doing right now and actually giving them action steps to do so. And I, it's not like I don't play music and have all... I mean, you can, you can legitimately see there's a piano right next to me. I don't know if you could see it. Um, here it is. There, now you can see it. Um, so I have all of the the things of being a musician still around me, my guitars, everything, but um, that's still a part of me and I still want to make and produce music. But I've come to realize that uh, I think that for me, it will one day be a part of the way I impact people, but not as much as the message that I'm giving out right now. <clears throat>
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. So, you know, again, everybody, I highly encourage you to go check out Rob's podcast, um, all the links are either going to be below or, or somewhere uh, very, very readily accessible to you. Rob, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast and, and, and giving so much of your time uh, to, to myself and, and to, the, to the audience, to the community, to everybody mm-hmm. listening. I want to thank you so much. Uh, y'all are the reason that we do it. Um, you know, if, if we can just make a positive impact in your life in, in any way, however small, um, that's worth it. That makes it worth it for me. So um, Thank you again, Rob. Thank you again to the, to the audience. This has been another Project Egg interview. Today we've been talking to Rob Dahl from Florida. Thank you so much.